Strangers No More. I'm Maggie Slight. And with us in our new cast, we have Dennis Schleicher, Kate Mauer, and Bradley Talbot. Three of us you may recognize. We do have a new member of our cast, and that is Kate Mauer. Kate, would you like to introduce yourself a little? Yeah. My name is Kate Mauer. My pronouns are she, they. I am a PhD student at the University of California Riverside campus. I study Romanian history, but I also dabble in lots and lots of other history. So that's kind of me. I'll be going to Romania. I'll be in Romania sometimes this season. That sounds so exciting. <laughs> it really does. We are and so happy to have you here. Can, can I share a funny story about this? Please do. So, so um, first of all, Kate, welcome to our family. We are super excited to have you here, especially starting season two. But so when, when we were having a meeting with just Bradley and myself and Maggie a few weeks ago, um, Bradley had said, yeah, I know this, this Kate that I can ask, but I don't know if she'll be interested. And Maggie and I went, oh, great. And then all of a sudden, when Kate, when he mentioned your screen name on Insta, um, and Bradley was just so solid about it. Yeah, it's just this woman, Kate, I know. I don't know if she'll do it. And Maggie's like, oh, I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> so it was like, you had, Maggie was so enthusiastic and Bradley is like, yeah, this is just Kate. You know, like, so it was cool. It was funny. Well, <laughs> let me add to that. It was, it was the information that Bradley added that caught me, my, my attention. Bradley said that Kate happened to be the creative impetus behind the, the Instagram account, Latter-day Les, which I said, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I want them on our show. <laughs> oh. That's great. So yeah, that, that's more, that's a more accurate description. I guess you just got Dennis's version, uh, but there's always your story, my story, and the truth, right? <laughs> well, the key was, is that I was a big fan of their Instagram account. And if anybody isn't following Latter-day Les on Instagram, please follow Kate on Latter-day Les on Instagram, because they have some fabulous really, really informative videos about the gospel, history, and where we fit in. And it's it's just amazing. It's Thank you. Amazing wow. account. I've never had so, such an introduction with <laughs> such enthusiasm. Thank you so much. Um, I also I'm going to take this opportunity to just thank you for welcoming me into this family. I really do feel um, that you all have this, this cool connection with one another. Uh, this is an opportunity for me to talk about um, and educate how I might go about um, talking about myself. I'm a non-binary person. So I um, don't go by brother or sister, I go by sibling. And I also, um, or I, I would like to, sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes I just don't correct people because sometimes it's exhausting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so those are some points that I want to, to highlight and bring out and give somebody else who's listening who, is non-binary a chance to see that model. So I appreciate that opportunity. Kate, Kate um, Maggie and I were talking about this a few nights ago when we talk, um, we do scripture study every night at midnight. And I said, you know, she knows I'm being dyslexic, that I have a hard time. I, I get they, them confused. So I'm gonna have to ask you to correct me because I'm still learning, if that makes sense. I just refer to myself as just Dennis or gay, you know, so I, I'm gonna need you to help educate me so that we can help educate others. Does that make sense? What I love about this podcast is I recognize already that we're all allies of one another. And I, yeah. I already know, and I've already heard um, Maggie kind of step in in this way. And so I appreciate that from the allies here. And yeah, I'm. this is an opportunity to 
listen to how that's used and to hear it messed up and see that I'm not going to like be towing the line on this, but yeah. especially because this is a good opportunity for other people to hear how she, they pronouns work too, right? Yeah. So you'll hear me referred to as both and that's going to be okay. So yeah. I think this is a great opportunity for, to model that to other people. Exactly. It really is. It really is. Um, I, <laughs> I wanted to actually kind of tell, tell tales on myself because, um, Awesome <laughs> uh, I yesterday was it yesterday or it could have been the day before yesterday I shared a I think it was the day before yesterday I, I shared a, a, a piece of artwork that Kate had done that I absolutely am a huge huge fan of and it's it's have, have you come up with a title for it yet yeah, it's called um, Terry Ye Here and Watch. Mm, I love that. And in that piece of art, it, it shows a, a rainbow across um, Christ as he's in Gethsemane. And it's an absolutely gorgeous sketch. And I, I, I absolutely adore it. But when I was sharing it, when I went back, I was so proud of myself for sharing it on, on both my accounts and on, on strangers. And then I went back and looked. And number one, I discovered that you can't edit a comment on, on Instagram. And I'm sure I already knew that, but it's very frustrating to me. But if Kate will go back and look at the comment that I made to her versus the post that I could edit, she will see they will see that the comment has a she pronoun and the posts were corrected to have a they pronoun. I actually did notice. I did notice. So I, I so I'm gonna, I try to live my life on erring on the side of compassion and I hope that other people do that for me as well. So um, I noticed that. And so in erring on the side of compassion, I thought, Thank you, Maggie, for recognizing that afterwards and, and changing it for the larger posts. Can I, I just I, say, I, I think I you're amazing. I wanted to kick myself when it <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not easy. Let's be honest. So, it's, it's so hard. Bradley, how do, you, how do you know Kate? It's a good question. How do we know each other? <laughs> um, Okay, let me tell that story because I stalked Bradley a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Kate knows me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I really wanted to be friends with Bradley um, because we share so much of so much of what he was sharing on Color the Campus and on his own Instagram account really resonated with me and I hadn't seen my own thoughts really reflected back at me in the way that Bradley had been doing that. And I was so impressed and shocked. And so I would just every week be like, Bradley. <laughs> Bradley, hi, remember me? <laughs> Everything that you're talking about. So, but then Bradley can tell how we actually met. Um, so I think we, the first time we like met in person was at a, um, I don't know what to call them, a fireside or an event? An ally night? I call it an ally. An ally night, yeah. There was this um, event in someone's backyard with a bunch of different um, LGBTQ plus saints or not saints, um, those in the church, outside the church, just a community of all of us that were very um, connected in some regard. And um, Kate gave me a ride and that's where we met. And... <laughs> Um, yeah, became really good friends. That is so cool. Well, I have to say that I, I, I believe that it was meant to be. <laughs> I believe it all was meant to be. I believe that you're meant to be friends. And I believe that Kate was meant to be a, our fourth host. I do want to give a little bit of a, a shout out for the, our audience that's joining us from last season. This is our season opener for our second season. Uh, 
Andrew is still well loved by all of us. He just had a lot more on his plate with his new job and he moved on because of job constraints, not for any other reason. He is still very much a part of our strangers family and we absolutely miss him and adore him. So I, I wanted to mention that he was not replaced for any, no. <laughs> any particular reason. He left and we were left with an opening and I was very excited to be able to, uh, we were very excited to be able to offer that to Kate. So getting, moving from the introduction from our new, our new cast member to some current events. This Monday, uh, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland made a speech in, at BYU that has been talked about quite a bit across the world, actually, in these last few days. Um, there have been a lot of feelings, a lot of strong feelings that have happened from it. I don't feel compelled to bring that entire speech into this program at this time. But I do want to discuss our reactions and our feelings to this. And I want to save space for all of the feelings that our entire community, our entire audience is feeling about this right now. We want you to know that you are loved and that above and beyond, the love of Jesus Christ is there for all. So let's get into the conversation. I'm going to actually open it up with Kate because Kate has <laughs> produced quite an extensive um, education around this speech last yesterday uh, within her Instagram within their Instagram. And I would like to get their insight and opinion into, um, and, and have that shared with our audience here on Strangers No More. Kate, would you like to? Yeah, so this is, I, I'm not gonna lie, we all are gonna have different reactions to this and mine was that I was hurt. I was immediately hurt. Um, I had a, a hard time with it. So for me, when I'm struggling with something like this, my go-to is to do research. I want to go and figure out what it is that we're actually talking about here. I want to look at the words and figure out exactly what we're saying. Um, so I focused in on a couple of things. The first one is the why. So for, um, sorry, Elder Holland starts out with talking about the, the why on the mountain and what that meant to him. And as somebody who's gone to a university and live, basically lived at a university as he has all of his life, I have all of my life. My parents were both graduate students at the University of Utah. And so, and I went to the University of Utah. So I have that same sort of affinity that he does to a college campus mm -hmm. and also to a letter on a mountain. So I, I wanted to dive into that. And then the second part I wanted to dive into is the, um, the history, which we were kind of, we kind of neglected in, in all of the um, feedback that's come out about, and pushback that's come out against um, Elder Holland's specific mention of um, the muskets at, the, and the muskets in one hand and a trowel in the other at the Nauvoo Temple. And I wanted to uncover and unpack some of that. So I can go into either one of those. I also wanna like kind of open that up to other people and see Maggie where you wanted I, I would really like you to um, go ahead and un unpack those. Uh, Bradley, I know that you definitely have have some 
possible input here <laughs> where letters and mountains are concerned. Yes, I thought that was a very interesting point that he made in his talk um, because he talked about how meaningful that was to him um, to see that symbol on the mountain. And it just kept reminding me of the rainbow why and all the response that I received from people saying how meaningful that was to them. Um, and in the context of what he later talks about in the talk, I feel like that was also kind of hurtful to me that he was maybe purposefully, maybe unintentionally, it does seem like he was trying to brush that under the rug and get back to the original white block Y um, and kind of erase the whole experience. Um, I did feel like he was referencing me specifically, color the campus specifically in his, um, I don't know what to say, his disagreement with the advocacy that occurs on campus. Um, and I don't know, I just feel like it's interesting that his talk is full of looking back to the past instead of actually progressing towards the future. That's kind of how I felt. Thank you, Bradley. Can um, I jump off that a little bit? Absolutely. So, but it's not going back all the way in the past, right? And so that was part of my point as well. He's looking at the why at a very specific moment. And it's very interesting that he picks this specific moment to be reflecting on the why, because across the nation, if you aren't on a university campus, if you haven't been for the past three years, or if your only experience is at BYU, you don't know this, or you might not know this, but there are land acknowledgements that you open every meeting with a land acknowledgement on a university campus. And so it's interesting that he's pointing to this specific moment of the why being this thing when the rest of the country is looking at land and looking at that mountain and seeing a different sort of story and trying to reconcile a really hurt past. So it's interesting that there's this dichotomy between BYU already right at the beginning of the talk that is, this is our space. And so part of the reason I, I understand that he feels this way is because we're a group of refugees. We needed a place to land. And this is kind of a symbol of, of our refugee experience landing in, in Utah County. However, it is an acknowledging the really traumatic past of those people it displaced. So at the same time, a displaced people is finding a home, they're displacing other people. And so there's all sorts of trauma and heartache that goes into that process that if we're thinking about it and acknowledging it, that's, I think that we can, we can have a lot more compassion, not just for Elder Holland's experience of seeing the why, but also what that means for another person who says, that was my home, right? Oh, absolutely. And it was interesting because as I was watching your Instagram story from a Instagram uh, post from yesterday, I actually had a revelation. I had been praying to know where my Native American Cheyenne tribe, because Cheyenne, Cheyennes were all over the place. <laughs> we, we, we got everywhere. <laughs> but I, know, I knew in Colorado that it was legal to kill. Native Americans up to very, 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 very recently. And the tribe that they were against were my people, were the Cheyenne. And it was very interesting because while you were talking about the Timpanogos and the Utes, I had a personal revelation that the Cheyenne and the Timpanogos or at least a part of the Cheyenne and Timpanogos were allies because that was the feeling that I had because it was my Cheyenne grandmother who I did her work at the Mount Timpanogos temple. 
I had no impression to do anybody else's work except for my grandmothers, both of my grandmothers in Utah at all. But at Mount Timpanogos Temple is where I did my grandmother's work. And I just had this, this strong feeling was left with me when you were talking about the history of that land that just really hit me in my soul. Sorry, I just, I wanted to share that revelation because I just felt it was. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, so um, the, the tribes that are, there's a plethora of tribes in Utah County alone that, that use and cultivate and are sovereigns of that, or um, uh, caretakers of that land, of the land and the uh, water and the air. And the, there are two major ones. One is um, Timpanogos and one is the Ute tribe. And I think that it's worth acknowledging that there should be an easier land acknowledgement. You should be able to just Google this and access who whose land you're on. There is um, not an official land acknowledgement from BYU. However, there is a land acknowledgement from Fiona King. If you look up her blog, she has a land acknowledgement for BYU, if you look that one up. That's cool. As, as somebody who was um, in a graduate program from actually a Californian university up until um, March of 2020, I will actually say that I didn't experience that. So what the, the, the land acknowledgements that you were talking about are really exciting to me because I didn't experience that. Uh, the, neither, um, neither National University nor uh, South, um, Southern New Hampshire University, um, neither one of them did that at, that, at the time I was taking classes from them. But it, 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 it makes me very excited in, towards the future that the universities are doing that now. So. Yeah, I agree. So I, <laughs> I want to get back to the speech for, for a minute. And speaking of history, when we're talking about Elder Holland and how he views the world, I think he kind of gave us a huge insight into how he still views this world. And as somebody who is in her mid fifties, I can tell you that this world has changed a lot since I've been on this earth. And the attitudes for most of the time I was, or for all the time I was growing up and the time I was raising my kids, the prevailing attitude was to abuse now and ask questions later. And that was the attitude that I felt from this particular sentence. As Elizabeth Taylor said to her eight husbands, I won't be keeping you long. I felt it was completely inappropriate. I was completely taken out of any spirit that I felt. And I was left, even as a 55-year-old woman, dumbfounded as to why, except where it comes to behavioral analysis. I've been watching too much. TV. <laughs> um, and and coming in coming back down to his his that is Elder Holland's frame of reference because that's what he is doing right there. He is showing us his frame of reference. He is showing us which generation he is from and the attitudes that he is from. He's giving us a lot of information um, in that sentence of saying not a lot. 
Um, I mean, right now I'm kind of feeling like the black sheep here because I haven't been able to share my views on it. So, uh, sorry, please I, do. Oh, it's okay. It's just, um, so I actually found nothing wrong with the speech. I, I not only listened to it, but I, I, I watched it. And by watching it, I was able to feel the empathy that he had for how the brethren have cried more times than they could mention over the LGBT community. And I actually am diff different than the three other guests on here where I actually sustain him and, and believe that there's a reason for, for, if we may not understand the reasons now, there's a reason down the road. But there, Kate and I were talking earlier, I received a text from a returning missionary that she said, from my understanding after reading it, he said that muskets are pointing at the church and that our goal is peace. Never did he say that we should pick up weapons of war. And Kate, you actually had a good response to that. And you, you brought it up. Um, so I don't know if you'd mind sharing that, Kate, and, and saying what your point of view on that was. Yeah. Yeah, first of all, I think that part of the reason that this is such a hard talk for some people, and especially for the queer community, is that it is Elder Holland, and we do sustain him, and we were, that he, this is somebody who we felt like has been so empathetic, and so kind of, for me, at least, it felt kind of out of the blue, um, so if we're talking specifically to the muskets, that's part of the reason I went back and, and looked at the this particular moment, and that is he is speaking directly to being defenders of not just the faith, but the Nauvoo temple. And what happens in Nauvoo is that the saints have just left Missouri. They've been, and it's not just that they're being pushed out, there's an extermination order against them, right? If you can go back and read this, it's very distressing. Um, in my opinion, not just in my opinion, I know converts who are being brought into um, this church have this cultural heritage and it's in all of our blood. This is a pioneer heritage that belongs to all of us. And at the same time, um, like we're doing Trek. This is the reason you do Trek is because of this Nambu experience. So they're, they've left Missouri. They're in Nauvoo, they're trying to build a temple for four years. And as they're doing that, um, in the process of that in 1844, uh, they set up a Nauvoo Legion, a Nauvoo Legion. This is, we're gonna defend the temple, we're gonna defend our city, which Nauvoo at this time is rivaling Chicago for the biggest city in, the, uh, in Illinois. And the Nauvoo Legion is in charge of defending that, and they report directly to Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith is the mayor of Nauvoo, and so he's being whisked off with Hiram to Carthage Jail, and he says to the Nauvoo Legion, stand down. This is not our fight. Don't come defending us. And the prophet and his brother are martyred. Right, this yeah. is a hard, difficult history to talk about. What he's calling on, what Pre what Elder Holland is calling on, who President Oaks, who at the time was Elder Elder Oaks, is calling on, who Elder Maxwell is calling on. This story is about mm -hmm. victimization and a struggle to defend not just the faith but literally the temple. The the um, Nauvoo Legion is in the wings of the temple, pointing down at the mobs that are trying to attack them. So that's the imagery that's being conjured up here by yeah. um, Elder Holland. That's it. I just took notes of that. Um, so thank you for that insight. Thank you for that. So the question is, I, the first, <laughs> First, before I, I, I want to bring anything else up, I, I want to address something. Dennis, you made a point of saying, I feel the odd man out, it's three against one. I really don't 
believe that. I believe that you can sustain a leader of the church and hold space and mm. be aware that they have human deficits. Can and I make a comment on that? Yes, absolutely. Because, um, yeah, one of the things that I've noticed with this conversation that I've had with lots of different people, family members, friends, and things like that, is when we connect things that don't need to be connected. Um, I can sustain my church leaders and criticize them. This statement, this address that was given was not even for the church. This was for BYU. It wasn't even for all of BYU. It was for BYU faculty. This was not given by the church. This was given by Elder Holland. Um, I can still be true to my covenants and be a faithful member of the church and recognize that the church has flaws that the church leaders have flaws, that there are things that need to change and that they say very hurtful and harmful things and they get away with it. That doesn't mean that I don't think that Elder Holland doesn't love me or that he doesn't yeah. pray for me. Exactly. I just don't think That's he a great point. quite it's like understands the, it's like what it's like. The church is perfect, but the members are not. I would actually disagree because the church is still run by men. The gospel is perfect. There you go. The, the gospel of done. Jesus Christ is perfect. How the we interpret, how we interpret that and how we as humans extrapolate from that is all human. Mm -hmm. And even with that statement, because I hear that a lot that people say that, but they say it in a way that's dismissive because they're like, oh, the church is perfect, the members are not, and yeah, I disagree with that, but even that statement itself, people are willing to make the um, realization or whatever that the members are not perfect, but as soon as you identify what mm -hmm. those things are, they close off. Yeah. As soon as I start to bring up, oh, the members are imperfect because of this, this, and this, they get dismissive, they're defensive, they don't listen. And so I, I'm not a huge fan of that statement because it does feel dismissive when we're actually trying to have a conversation about what's going on. Um, because yes, obviously the members are imperfect, the church leaders are imperfect, but why is it that we can't actually talk about what things are imperfect? Nothing's gonna change if we're not willing to recognize that there's a lot going wrong and a lot of things need to change. Well, I, I think we need to go back to the fact that if, if questions had never been asked about true churches and, and where what we should worship and how we should worship, we wouldn't even have a church. Mm -hmm. So the process of continuing to ask questions has always been a part of our church. The process of continuing to seek revelation, not only as individuals, but as a church is a defining characteristic of our church. And believe me, I've had a lot of conversations with other churches this week. Somehow or another, people wanted to talk to me about my church because of what was happening. And I can tell you that we are completely and totally unique this way. And we absolutely need to own that part of our uniqueness, which is part of his talk. <laughs> part of it is that it's really hard to uncover what we actually believe. Um, there's a lot of contradiction that's going on, including <laughs> Um, a really interesting point about this talk is that uh, the musket thing is is drawing a lot of attention without enough investigation into it, including um, the fact that this is a story that's being retold and retold. So the first time that it's told is by Elder Maxwell. And then the next time it's told is by Elder, who was at the time Elder Oaks. And He's saying it specifically. He's saying specifically there needs to be more musket. I want to, I wish I could hear some more musket fire from this temple of learning to the faculty at BYU. And it's significant that that talk was given in 2017. 
not 2021. So 2017, when this talk is, when Elder Oaks at the time is giving this talk, the policy is different than we believe it today. In 2017, it is that we believe in the 2015 policy that wasn't rescinded until 2019. So calling upon this imagery is really interesting because it's, what do we, what do we believe? What, why are we calling on something that's, that's changed? We've adjusted our thinking. We're no longer thinking that same-sex marriage requires apostasy all of that sort of thing. So it's hard to, what at what moment are we talking about the church being true? At what moment are we talking about the leaders saying truth? Because there's a lot of stuff that's just contradictory. You just, there's no other way to talk about it. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Bradley, do you, do you have anything more specifically that you want to bring up about the talk or about what's happened in the last few days since the talk has happened? Um, I think the biggest problem that I've been trying to wrestle with is just feeling like people aren't listening um, and that people are saying like, oh, I still love you. The Elder Holland still loves you. So everything that he says must be out of love and therefore must be true. And again, that goes back to my previous comment of we're connecting things that don't need to be connected. Just because you believe you love me doesn't mean everything you say is going to be for my good or for my benefit. Um, just because you believe you listen to me doesn't mean you actually do listen to me or that I feel like I'm being listened to. Um, so I think that's the biggest struggle that I'm having right now is people don't realize that I fully believe that the brethren are praying and crying over what my experience is like. That doesn't mean that I still think that what they are saying is good for me. And I also highly doubt that they know how much I have prayed and cried over this. Um, they are not connected to it in the same way that I am. And so I just wish that they would actually listen and stop using terms that we've told them are hurtful, stop using rhetoric that is harmful, stop coming up with analogies that is just divisive and use the word unique as a way to justify it. Like, I just don't, I don't like the fear tactics that they use. Um, I feel like Elder Holland incited a lot of fear in allies that were trying to be supportive um, and then has also pointed a lot of fear towards the LGBTQ plus community because we don't know how people are going to respond now. We don't know who is actually on our side because now people have the excuse of saying, I love you, but I won't advocate for you. That doesn't exist. That's not a thing. You can't love me without advocating for me. And I really dislike that he used that phrase because I feel like that's gonna be so harmful and people are gonna believe that. And that just is not true. You cannot love me if you do not advocate for me. It's kind of reminds me, it's kind of reminds me of what I deal with, with my own mother being a non-member. You know, she refers to me as a murderer, meaning that if I committed a murder, she would um, love me, but she wouldn't accept or approve of me. So that's, you know, was was resonating when you'd said that, Bradley. But it's. I actually it's, think that's a really great point um, because I've heard a lot of people use similar examples, where they say love the sinner, um, hate the sin, and I feel like Elder Holland used this rhetoric as well. That the reason he's getting away with this type of language is because he uses phrases like same-sex attraction, which distances my experience from my identity. Um, because you you totally can love somebody and disagree with some of their decisions, some of their opinions, like that is totally valid and real. And that's what he's trying to do with the LGBTQ plus community, because he's not realizing that it's not a behavior that we are doing. It's not an opinion that we have. This is who we are. So you can love somebody and not love what they do, but you can't do that with the LGBTQ plus community because it's nothing that we're doing. It's who we are. And, and that's where I've, I've seen 
this week in reaction there's a lot of muddling between attraction and identity again and it's just like just as we were starting to believe that we were actually getting those separated and talked about in separate veins they're all bunched up again and all muddy and we're back at square one yeah it does feel like we've started over <laughs> Kate, do you have any insight into that? I was listening to Bradley talk and thinking, I have the point and now I've lost it. But um, <laughs> but I agree with I agree with Bradley about thinking of this. Sorry if you can hear my dogs. Um, thinking about this as our whole identity. I think that's interesting that we bring in Matt Easton. It's very clear that that. Elder Holland is referencing Matt Easton. Um, Matt Easton's the 2019 valedictorian who came out as gay in his valedictorian speech. And that was the year of the policy change too. This is a big deal because it's almost like celebrating the policy change as well to me, in my opinion. And Elder Holland says, this isn't a shared experience. This isn't something that we can all relate to. If you listen to Matt's speech, he's talking actually about his mom getting cancer, all of these like really difficult, challenging things and that are not relatable to everybody, right? But, but just bringing up, I, I think there's a contradiction there as well. Just bringing up that you're gay isn't appropriate anymore. That's what Elder Holland seemed to say in this, in this talk. Be, even speaking out as as being this person is not appropriate anymore. And that seems to be a dramatic shift from what we've been seeing over the past two years. So I think that Bradley's right here saying this is this is an attack on who I am, not on what I do. Yeah, and and I actually found that particularly ironic about Elder Holland's talk that he would attack um maddie easton's talk about that and yet he had previously done that quote about elizabeth taylor's eight marriages <laughs> it was just ironic because to me it was just like it and and, and how relevant was this <laughs> Anyway, so, so relevant. for me, I, for me, I choose to trust in the, in, you know, we may not always understand what they say or what the meaning is, but I have faith in knowing that it will reveal itself in time. That's my, that's my opinion is that I feel that, you know, I mean, I, again, like I said, I didn't find it offensive. I found it coming from a really loving place when he was speaking. And especially when he was sharing tears and so i was feeling that there was nothing but love and i know that's i i i do want to make a point because i i i feel like if i don't i absolutely love you dennis and i respect your feelings about this but there is a point that I have to make as a as a victim of abuse. I have been abused by people telling me that they love me with tears in their eyes a lot. It's called gaslighting. There's a specific phrase for it. This speech brought up a lot of the same elements at the same time that Elder Holland was, was proclaiming a lot of love. There was a lot of pain that was caused. And to try to hold space for both of those things is what I'm trying as the producer of this show to do because I know that our audience is feeling a myriad of emotions, a, a spectrum, if you will. 
as a person who's neurodivergent, there is some very critical parts to this and how I interpreted this as an autistic neurodivergent person. I don't have the freedom to look at metaphor the way that neurotypical brains do. I see a lot of literal things. That's what if you see the things that I've picked out, they've been very literal things because that's how my brain sees things. I don't have any other way of looking at it besides my own way. That's why I've invited an entire cast to talk about this because we all have our own very unique ways of interpreting what we hear and see. This has been a very, very confusing and emotional time for all of us and all of our audience. I want to go around one more time and I'm gonna open up and let our host share a little bit of a closing of how we want to go forward with this discussion. But I do want to invite our audience to join us next week for our season opener of our Come Follow Me program, which will be highlighted with a segment of the traditional Come Follow Me, as well as querying the scriptures. And what, what was your segment that you, I'm sorry, you had a title for yours, Bradley. On the record. And Bradley will be bringing on the record also. And Dennis will be bringing some absolutely profound insights from his convert views and the way that we all uniquely view how we're learning the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's kind of close out this conversation about our current events and moving forward. Um, Dennis, I'd like to invite you to. Yeah. So I'm, and mine's very short. Personally, I feel we all need to pause to let the emotion give way to the spirit. To pause and let the emotion give way to the spirit. Thank you, Dennis. You're welcome. Hmm. I'm having a hard time thinking of what, how I want to say it, but I feel like um, as of late, my general feeling has, um, like you said, has been confusing and frustrating, but I do feel like overall I have felt a lot of peace because I have just had it confirmed to me that um my connection to God and to the Savior and to the Holy Ghost, um, there's no barriers in between that. I am appreciative of the church and the efforts that they make to strengthen that connection. Um, but when I feel betrayed and um, hurt by the church, it doesn't affect my relationship with any of them. Um, and I'm grateful that I've gone to a point where I can confidently say that I don't necessarily need the church in order to connect with God. So. Thank you, Bradley. Kate, how about you? Thank you both. You, you're both pretty profound and I am a historian. That's what I'm going to go back to. And I'm going to go back to Nauvoo and those guys with their muskets pointing down and try to think about what it is that they're defending. And what's interesting to me, how I'm gonna connect this to my own life, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that I want to connect this to my own life, is that those people um, were queer. They're practicing polygamy at that time. They were being kicked out for practicing polygamy. They were being kicked out. They weren't, they're fleeing to Utah and Utah's not gonna be able to be a state while polygamy is being practiced. Um, that is, so what queer means, if people don't know what queer means, queer means any sort of sexual or gender divergence from um, this sense of traditionalness. And for me, this is my, this is how I'm gonna be able to 
interpret this for me. It's that um, defending the faith is also defending queer people. Defending the temple at that moment is ceilings for queer people, actually. And so um, that's the way that I'm going to interpret this. That's the way I'm going to I'm going to um, take up my arms or whatever metaphorical arms for queer people, um, including these. We call them. We call ourselves a peculiar people, which is another word for queer. Um, I'm going to say that that's that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stand for for that and defend that. I love that. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much. I want to give you my testimony that this has been an incredibly difficult week. I, I struggled. I prayed. I fasted. I sought more personal revelation than probably any week except for maybe five weeks out of my life out of my church membership in the last eight years. However, I can go back and I can say I had the opportunity to pray and fast and seek revelation. And I want to give or reiterate that opportunity for every one of our audience. I invite you to pray about this, to fast if you can, if your body is, is able, and to seek revelation because above and beyond all things is our relationship with God. Our Savior Jesus Christ is the light and the love of our life. And I will leave that with you and hope that your week ahead is full of the love and light of Jesus Christ. We love you and so does God.